So I was watching this um, series, documentary series, uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, I was either on the History Channel or maybe PBS, I forget, but it was, uh, it was pretty good. It was about the 1960s, um, kind of a, just a profile on the whole, dec the whole decade. I think it was like four or five parts. And uh, there's one particular episode, I didn't see all of them, but this, this one really kind of struck me. It was about, uh, they focused on 1968. The whole hour slot was de dedicated to that year. Um, because it was just a very a particularly turbulent, unsettling, violent year in our country's history. Uh, the Vietnam War was just uh, escalating. Protests where college campuses were becoming more and more uh, kind of hostile toward it. Um, race riots in the, in the cities. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, that April in, in 68, and uh, they spent a lot of time, they kind of, the whole hour was sort of, was sort of draped in, Martin Luther King was kind of the, the main part of it, and then like these little, these other aspects were uh, represented, and they were talking about the night that uh, Martin Luther King died, and uh, interesting way, they, they kind of told it through this other story. Uh, it involved Robert Kennedy. He was, uh, he was running for president at the time, and he was on the campaign trail. And he was in Indiana. Um, he had been down earlier in the day. He was at uh, a couple of colleges. He was at Notre Dame, actually, uh, earlier in the day. And they flew to Indianapolis and uh, found out that he was, I guess when they got on the plane, he found out that he had been shot but by the time they landed, they were told that he, in fact, was, he was dead. He's getting ready. He himself would be dead two months later, Bobby Kennedy. Um, so the question was, he was getting ready to go to speak uh, at a rally in the, in, the, in the heart of the city. Apparently, it, was a, it would be an overly, uh, an overwhelmingly you know, African-American audience. And the problem was they didn't know. They didn't know, they didn't even know that he had been shot, let alone murdered. Um, so they were trying to figure out, the Kennedy campaign was trying to figure out, what do we do here? Do we just cancel this? The cops were involved. The campaign was saying, you know, we can't guarantee, guarantee his safety. Um, fear was just that there would be instantaneous, you know, riots. So there was kind of a push to just say, let's just cancel it and let the news tell everybody what happened. Um, again, this is what, 50 years ago? I mean, he didn't, it was pre-internet, pre-cell phones. So just even news was, you know, it would, clearly didn't travel nearly as fast as it would today. Um, well, Kennedy said no. He said he wasn't, didn't want to cancel it. So he, uh, he got up on the, on the back of this, um, the crowd was there. He got up on the back of this uh, kind of a flatbed truck. And his people had given him, put together a quick, uh, quick little speech but they said he didn't, he didn't take it. He didn't want it. He had, he had written a couple of things down from, I guess, the airport to where this uh, rally was happening. And it's now considered this, it's worth uh, YouTubing this, this. It's about four minutes long. But it's considered really one of the great speeches of, uh, American speeches of the last century. I just want to read a part of it to you. Um, 
Martin, this is, so this is Bobby Kennedy. Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice for his fellow human beings, and he died because of that effort. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, actually, listen to these words. They would be so relevant for today. In this difficult time for the United States, it is perhaps well to ask what kind of nation we are and what direction we want to move in. For those of you who are black, you can be filled with bitterness, with hatred, and a desire for revenge. We can move in that direction as a country in great polarization, or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand and to comprehend and to replace that violence, that bloodshed that is spread across our land with an effort to understand with compassion and love. What we need in the United States is not division or hatred, it's not violence or lawlessness, but love and wisdom and compassion toward one another and a feeling of justice towards those who still suffer within our country, whether they be black or white. So I ask you tonight to return home and say a prayer for the family of Martin Luther King, but maybe more importantly, say a prayer for our own country, which all of us love, a prayer of understanding and that compassion of which I spoke. We will have difficult times. We've had difficult times in the past and we will in the future. It's not, sadly, the end of violence. It's not the end of lawlessness. It's not the end of disorder. But the vast majority of white and black people in this country want to live together. They want to improve the quality of our life and they want justice for all who abide in our land. So let us dedicate ourselves to what the Greeks wrote so many years ago, to tame the savageness of man and to make gentle the life of this world. Let us dedicate ourselves to that and say a prayer for our country and for our people. Now, the night, that night, they say, throughout the country, certainly in the cities, they burned. You know, riots took off. But they say in Indianapolis, there weren't. There were no riots that night. There was calm. Um, it's other parts in the speech where he references his brother, his brother's death. Um, you know, all the, all the books written about RFK, um, kind of all the experts, they say that uh, really without question, uh, John F. Kennedy's death fundamentally changed Bobby Kennedy's life. He just wasn't the same man. Um, like everybody says it, people who knew him, talked openly about it. Um, and they do this sort of before and after thing, kind of what he was like before his brother's assassination. You know, the word that's always used is a ruthless, that he was just driven. It was kind of this take no prisoners approach. He was a protector of the bro his brother and the family, almost maybe arguably at all cost. He was tough, he was aggressive, ruthless. That was the word that's always been used to describe him pre-1963. But then they say the pain, the pain of his brother's death, it just changed him. He just became uh, more compassionate and more thoughtful and more decent. They say there was like a wisdom that was just born out of that terrible event in 63. Um, and I'm not saying he was a terrible guy, 
before his brother was killed. But I am saying, or everybody seems to say, that that tragedy did make him a better man. He became just much more concerned about the vulnerable and the weak and the poor. Tragedy kind of made him better. I mean, doesn't that, doesn't struggle often do that? I mean, doesn't personal struggle in your life, and maybe even tragedy, doesn't it often actually make us better people? I don't think it's a given. It's not guaranteed. It can make us worse. But if we receive it in the right ways, and if we receive it sort of wrapped in faith, in knowledge of the cross, in sort of a crazy, ironic way, like we, we do become stronger, we become better. I got a friend of mine, and I've, I've mentioned him a couple of times here. In fact, he recently died. His name was John O'Connell. He was a wonderful guy. I met him 30 years ago in my first parish, before I was even ordained. I was in the seminary. And, just a great family, uh, him and his wife, Ginny, um, five kids, and uh, they just were, they were so good to me. Um, well, his son, uh, their son Keith was uh, in college, um, and he was murdered. He was uh, killed in, on, on, on campus, or right off campus, and uh, I mean, none of us will ever forget it. And I did the funeral mass, and it was just uh, this hor- horrendous event. Um, I remember watching John in particular, and certainly his wife too, all of them. But John, I, you know, I, I knew best, who I loved, from, I, I, loved, I, I loved him from the start. He was a wonderful guy. But somehow this terrible event actually, a little bit like the, the Bobby Kennedy thing, like it, it actually made him a better man. And I thought he was a great man before. There was sort of like a wisdom that I felt like he now sort of possessed. There was a, maybe a, a, an even deeper degree of thoughtfulness. Maybe a, maybe a shift in priorities in some aspects. There was like a wisdom. Maybe that's, I don't know, that's the word I kind of keep coming back to. Hey, I'm not saying we should be okay with people we love being killed. I mean, of course not. There's got to be other ways of, of, of obtaining wisdom. Of course there is. But this whole question about hardship and struggle, like where does it take you? Where has it taken you? Maybe in the course of our lives, we've got a couple of chapters. We're like, yeah, this chapter, that one, this one, and the, none of them, I wouldn't wish any of them on anybody. They were objectively terrible times. But in this chapter, it brought me to a, I, I became a, I was less, I became less good, less noble. I mean, anger and turned me into somebody I, I, I didn't even recognize. But there were other times when it, it did the opposite. It made me a better person. Maybe there's the, the challenge for us. I've got a, another friend of mine who, um, I had this great conversation a while ago now, but he uh, got a pretty good job in human, human resources, pretty big company. And uh, anyway, his wife, um, who I'm also close with, 
She had cancer, pretty serious, and uh, she battled it for three or four years, and she beat it. She beat it. Um, but it was brutal. The treatment was just terrible. Um, several rounds of chemo and radiation. And it, uh, it was a very, very tough time. And my friend told me about with work, you know, as an HR guy, he's got these responsibilities. Like he's got to, with, with employees who are sick, you know, there, there, there are these gray areas. It's not all like math. Like there are these gray areas where you're like, all right, do, I, do we give this person a little bit more sick time, a little bit more compensation? You know, it's not so clear. And he just said to me that, man, he used to, before his wife got sick, he was very, or at least more matter of fact, it was kind of black and white. It was, you know, this is, this is the way, I'm sorry. I wish I could give you more of this or less that, but I can't. Um, but he said now when he te- speaks with people who are sick or something is going on, not just sickness, something, something's going on in their life, some struggle, he thinks of his wife and their life. And he now he sees it through that lens, and he's got like, he says he just is more understanding. He's more thoughtful. He wasn't always, and again, I, I can't imagine him ever, ever having been like a, a cold-hearted jerk, because he's not that way, but he says he's just better now. And it's because of that terrible chapter. He absolutely, there's no doubt, he says, that's why he's better. And I was like, almost like sometimes in order to grow, like we've got to, to some degree, fall apart. Success, success brings us glory and spotlight. And pain usually brings us character, doesn't it? Or at least it can. And if we wrap that pain in faith, it does bring us character. And then sometimes life just takes us places that we don't want to go, but we need to go, but we resist it because it is painful. It's this reading today for this guy Jonah, this, you know, we know this story since we were little kids, the guy who was swallowed by the fish or the whale and he's in the belly of for three, three days. And it's, you know, kind of this very uh, symbolic, it's a story that a little kid would, you know, be all over. The whale spits him out. But here's the bottom line. God wanted him, God, he was this reluctant, Jonah, he was this reluctant prophet. God said, I need you to go to Nineveh and tell them about me because they don't know me. And he hated Nineveh, Jonah. He wanted nothing to do with Nineveh. Nineveh was there. He got in a boat and went there to get away from it. He just resisted it from the start, really sadly until the end. He ran from where he needed to be. You ever done that? Have you ever done that? I mean, I guess to some degree we all have. Because we're in a, a place that we don't want to be and that is painful. It's not fair. We don't deserve it. But it's where I'm, we're at. Well, we can be there with faith or not. And I think often the difference, that, that, that becomes the difference between becoming this person with kind of like this, this new wisdom and understanding, and the person who's become really good at being bitter and angry. Story, I was, a couple of stories recently hearing about 
college campuses in the last couple of years that they're becoming, the suicide rate has been skyrocketing. This article was um, written by the, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, it was, it was a couple of them that wrote, they were these uh, uh, university counselors, I guess psychologists mostly, talking about this, like something's going on, something terrible is happening on college campuses in the last 10, 12 years. Like the percentages of you know, uh, mental illness, kids being on medication, suicide is like skyrocket. Like what's going on? Well, you know what their, their explanation is more than anything else? They're blaming it on parents. Like a generation of parents who have been just picking up the pieces for their, for their kids endlessly. Jumping in front of bullets for their kids all the time never letting their kids experience life, life which is painful at times, is uncomfortable, is unfair, is scary. Every time any of those emotions are on the doorstep, they run and they lock the door so their kids are shielded from it. And all that matters for a lot of these parents is their kids get into the, the right school. So they're, they're going to war with teachers and school administrators and principals. My kid got a B and I want an A. And they're like, well, he, didn't, he barely deserved the B. There's no way he deserves an A. Yeah, but my kid's got to get into this school. Well, my kid's got to start on this team. And they are warriors for simply the success of their kids at the expense of their mental health. And then they go away to college and there's nobody there to pick up the pieces. There's nobody there to go to bat for them, to defend them. And, they, and, and now they are failing. Well, they're not getting the A that they always got, which never really was an A. And they can't cope with it. Because they've never, they've never had to deal with struggle and pain. And hey, that's not why, that's not the only reason Something terrible is happening among college kids. But these experts say it's absolutely a factor. How parents have changed in the last 25 years. And they just, they shield too much. And then at a certain point, it's like, I can't be there. And now my kid is like, doesn't know what to do. Sounds crazy, but like pain has its place. You know, and one more time, like, I'm not saying, let's all go looking for it. And I'm not even saying, let's celebrate it. I'm just saying, don't run from it the way Jonah did. You know, the gospel, we got these four fishermen. Jesus says, I want you to come with me. And they just did. They, they said, okay. Well, for all four of them, it ultimately it led, you know, they didn't, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't die old men. They died martyrs. It wasn't easy. But they knew God was behind it. They knew God was with them. And maybe that's the difference. Maybe these kids on these campuses, just God isn't really a part of their essence. Let's throw that into the mix. Just sort of an increasingly godless culture where like my kids' lacrosse is our religion. That's what, that's what we are most passionate about. God, Jesus, man, not really. It's, all, it's at, at best cultural. So when it hits the fan and life is scary, God is a stranger. To me, it's like a profile. You got Jonah and these four apostles. Jonah said no and ran. These other four said yes and followed. 
You know, in uh, that speech, Bobby Kennedy, he was talking about his brother. They said, or, or, or they say that he started personally after the, the death of his brother, he started to read a lot of tragedies, Greek tragedies. He found solace in it because of the, the agony that he was going through in, this, uh, in his grief. And in this speech, the night of King's death, talk about just great speakers and, you know, not taking the notes from all of his people and him, himself that coming from the heart. He quoted this poem from this uh, Greek writer, uh, Asaclus. I'm not even sure how you say his name, but he wrote these tragedies. Well, this is a poem. This is part of, this is what he quoted in this, to these now grieving, shocked people. In our sleep, pain, which cannot forget, falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Wisdom comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. No pain, no gain, right? No God, and we know that wisdom. 